my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fan Zone Debate. We're here at the final act, uh, multiplex final act. Uh, very excited. We got the uh, the Fan Zone Debate title match for you. We got the champion, Kirk Kolkowski. He's been the champion for a hot second, uh, winning his belt off of uh, Jacoby last season. Or no. Yeah, last season. I'm not a crazy person. It was last year. Uh, he defended against the likes of uh, Nazario at the end of the year. And then this year he's played um, Amaru. Uh, and then uh, most recently uh, Cody, uh, who is also here. And then uh, now tonight he's going up against Bill Cariola. Uh, so will the streak continue? Will he be the champion all season? He's already held it for a full year, but will he continue on? I don't know. Let's see what happens. We got Brian Michaels here. Brian, uh, how you doing, my friend? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm here to judge the final match, the uh, the title match. Uh, don't really want either of these guys to win, so at least I'm impartial. You know, with Kirk, Kirk's held the title for a while, so we keep having to listen to these debates on these really lame categories he chooses. And Bill is just insane. I mean, I honestly, should just put Bill and Mike Hanley in a match together, and just we'd all lose our minds. There you go, uh, Cody. Uh, mm. You've judged a lot of matches. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> how you how you doing, buddy? <laughs> yeah, um, I have PTSD. So I'm gonna be honest with you. Uh, we on the side here, title match and Kirk's name and just uh, flashbacks. Um, I've been able to watch films the same way. Um, yeah. Uh, again, Kirk is fantastic. Kirk is probably the best one of the best debaters I've ever like come across and got to see play. Uh, Bill is uh, unconventional. So it may throw Kirk off any advice to take down Kirk cheap shots, throat punches, you know, kicks to the balls. One of the two, you'll, you'll have a shot, but if Roy Batty comes up, just vomit. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, let's get into it. We'll start by talking to Bill, uh, the challenger bill. Welcome. Uh, you signed up on the Facebook post and now you're here. You, yeah, you it all the way through. A... You've had some great matches. You debuted against Chadwick Webb. Uh, then you went on, uh, to play Brooklyn in a very impressive KO. And then you won the, uh, number one contenders match against Brandon Cohen, one of the other great, uh, rookies of the season. So how are you feeling? Do you feel prepared? Are you excited? To, to be clear, I have prepared nothing for any of these matches. This is the shit that lives in my mind, to to be honest. So uh, I had to do some studying for this because I don't know who the fuck Akira, Kurosawa is. I've seen one of his movies, and it's not the one you think. So I'm all up on that now. So that's cute and fun. And then, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I am nervous because I've seen Kirk yell, and I know, like, Kirk probably hates 80% of my movie opinions. And that's why we're friends because it's fun. So it should be interesting. All right, awesome. Uh, let's bring in the champion, uh, Mr. Kirk. Kirk, how you doing? Uh, I, 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 get, I read off your list of accomplishments uh, at the beginning there since you've been champion. Um, is this just going to be another another match? Are you nervous? What are you thinking? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm nervous every time because um, I'm always playing somebody good and somebody worthy of, you know, you know, if they got to this level, then they deserve to be here. And um, I'll be honest, no offense to anybody else who participated, but when this whole rookie title picture started and I saw who was participating, I uh, 
kind of circled Bill's name in my mind and said, yeah, it's probably going to be Bill. Um, so I've kind of been expecting this. Um, you know, I've went back and watched Bill's matches. Uh, he has improved uh, every match he's played. So for my sake, I hope he peaks. He's peaked at this point and goes no further. Um, but yeah, I feel good. I feel confident in the uh, arguments I've crafted. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but we'll see. It'll be fun. All right. Uh, so this is how it's going to work. Uh, we got a title match for you. So instead of four prep questions, we have five prep questions, three drafted by the champion, two drafted by the challenger. Uh, so they gave us some categories. I made the questions for them. They're going to debate those questions tonight before our very souls. Uh, then what's going to happen is uh, if after the prep questions, we have a score of three to two, we'll move on to some bonus questions uh, to finish this thing out. We're going to make it best four out of seven. So um you're gonna get one minute to open your arguments which is gonna be followed by a five minute free form which is then gonna be followed by a one minute closing uh gentlemen do you have any questions about how this is gonna go yes sir all right then let's do this thing All right, we are going to kick this thing off with a category uh, that I like. So, yay. Uh, this is actually, I like a lot of these tonight. Uh, we're we're going to start it off with directors. And the question is, who is the most intimidating character in a Martin Scorsese crime film? Uh, so, we're going to kick it off with Kirk. Since he drafted this one, Kirk, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. When the question popped up for most intimidating Scorsese character, the first person I thought of was Nicky Santoro from Casino. Uh, this guy is completely unhinged. Uh, he is—he has no fear. He's not afraid of police. He's not afraid of other mobsters, of mob bosses, of jail, of death. Uh, he has one speed, and that speed is ultraviolence. Um, he, he does not he cannot be reasoned with. Uh, he cannot be questioned or challenged. Uh, if you come up against him, uh, like his friend Ace Rossian says, uh, if you come at him, you better you better make sure you kill him because he will keep coming at you until one of you is dead. And that describes Nikki perfectly. Uh, if you are on the wrong side of him, you do not have long to live. Uh, he is a threat to uh, the, to his uh, enemies. He's a threat to his friends. He's a threat to the people close to him. He cannot be controlled. He cannot be contained. He cannot be reasoned with. He's a danger at every level. And uh, he is the most intimidating and scariest absolute Martin Scorsese character. Okay. All right. We'll move over to Bill, who has one minute to open the <clears throat> argument when he starts talking. When you watch Gangs of New York, you are completely compelled every time Bill the Butcher is on screen. Uh, he is the entire movie because of just how that man, I believe his picture is in the dictionary next to the word intimidating. Everything about him is no nonsense and horrifying. At no point in time do I think anybody is driving behind the wheel of that car. Uh, that guy is vicious. That guy is calculating. That guy has everybody around him completely afraid of him. Whether it's his own gang members, whether it's cops, whether it's politicians, no one wants to be on the wrong side of that man. At any point in time, he is ruthless like, like a preacher has songs. Like, it's just every... Thing that guy does is just so unnerving and unsettling 
and my God, I've never been more afraid of an actual human being than I am as Bill the Butcher in Gags, New York. Time. All right. Uh, Five-minute freeform. When one of you starts talking, I will come in with the uh, one-minute uh, warning like so uh, when that comes. And if I feel like somebody is talking too long, I'm going to throw uh, this mother up. So uh, keep it going and uh, have fun. Um, you you kind of uh, contradict yourself there, Bill, because you said there's nobody behind the wheel of the car, but you said he's calculating. Um, I agree with you that he is calculating. Here's the thing about Bill. Um, yeah, he's a dangerous person, but two things about him. A, he's a politician. And B, he has a very strict personal moral code. So he has two things holding him back. Uh, he's basically, he, he's playing the game on two different levels. He's playing 3D chess. Nikki's playing checkers. And if, he, if you say king me, he's going to shoot you in the face. Uh, Nikki's a much more simple character, straightforward. Uh, Bill has to play the game. He, like I said, he's playing politics. He's controlling the crowd. He has a lot of other things going for him besides just intimidating violence. He's charming. He's he, like you said, he's compelling. He has influence, um, but he's not just a straight danger like Nikki is. This man will murder you in public. Like it's fun. Nikki will take you to the back room and hide that shit. And I know you keep saying like, Oh, you know, he has like that. First off, Bill's moral code is whatever the fuck he decides it to be, and it doesn't matter anything. It is like a broken compass. It is just whatever he decides his morals are. This is a guy that will straight up murder a cop in broad daylight in front of people with giddy delight. Nikki will make sure he's home every day to cook for his kids' breakfast and make sure they're off to school. Like, say what you will about his demeanor, but he's still taking care of his family. He's still taking care of his day-to-day -day life. He's still a family man. Like, and that's, and also that, not that's, to what, mention, that's what that's what absolutely terrifying about. I'm sorry, good finish. No, I was gonna say not to mention uh, Joe Pesci's like five foot. I am not intimidated by that. If I could palm your head and fucking hold you back, how, you do but, not intimidate me. I don't how about care. The, how about the dude that will take his boots off the table, who's twice his size, and totally is left weeping when when Nikki's done with him. He's terrified of him. Yeah, Nikki takes care of his family. He's home. He goes out every night, murdering, killing, robbing, and then come home. That's that's how chilling he is. It means nothing to him. He'll come home and make breakfast for his kid like he was out working a nine-to-five. That's what's so scary about him. Bill's moral compass is not broken. Bill has a very strict moral compass. He took out his own eye because of his moral compass. He let Amsterdam live because of his moral compass. Amsterdam came, tried to kill Bill, and Bill let him live. You know who's not letting you live at that point? Nicky Santoro. You go after Nicky, he's going to take you out. He had, uh, And if I, if I was sitting in that room and I saw Amsterdam live after uh, <coughs> kill Bill, and I wanted, I was thinking about killing Bill. You know what I'd said? Like, you know what? If, even if I fell, I got a shot. And what happens at the end? He lets this guy live, come back, and get another chance to kill him. Nikki's gonna let, not going to let that happen. All right. So I'm glad you brought that up. The fact that this guy will introduce himself by tapping on his glass eye with a fucking knife. Like, I'm sorry. That immediately intimidates the shit out of me. If the first time I meet somebody, they're doing some shit like that, I'm like, that's not the guy to fuck with. If the first thing I see from somebody is some five-foot guy who sounds like he's huffed helium in the parking lot and he wants to pretend to be like this like bad tough guy, I'm going to laugh my ass off even if he does beat my ass because I am not intimidated you'll be, by you'll him. You'll be dead very quickly or you'll be in the yeah, hospital. He may be crazy, but I'm not intimidated just by looking at You'll learn to be intimidated. There's a scene in, there's a scene in the casino where there's two gangsters who show up to, to try to rip off Ace's casino. He, all Nikki has to do is walk up and say, hey, guys, not today. And those guys bail immediately. They know that they, Nikki is not to be messed with. 
anybody in Nikki's world, his circle knows he is not to be messed and they are rightly terrified of him. There's a there's a scene where Ace is meeting with him in the desert, and he says, when they are on good terms, Ace only gives himself 99 out of 100% chance of getting out of the desert alive. When they are getting along, childhood friends, childhood friend who is protected by the mafia, by the way, does not feel completely safe being alone with this guy. He is completely unhinged. He is there is no safety around him. There's no reason with him. Bill, your reason reason with Bill's playing the angles. Bill may have a reason to keep you alive. Nikki does not. Yeah, but again, the argument is who is more intimidating? Just by like, first off, just by physical appearance, Bill constantly looks like he is just like anger sweating. Like he looks like if I would touch him, he'd be sticky. Like he always doesn't look right. He looks like he is wearing a dead man's clothes. Like everything about him from the physical presentation is completely unsettling. Like that is pure intimidation walking. Joe Pesci's wearing some goofball suits. He is like five foot nothing. And everybody like is still afraid. I let you talk. It's listen, time to let me terrified. talk. There's a, there's a scene. In, I let in... you talk. It is my time to talk. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, he is a goofball who has this really high-pitched voice. And, like, I'm sorry. I'm like, and you know what the worst part is? There was a better, more compelling character for Pesci in Goodfellas. And you, for some reason, went with the worst version I went with the more unhinged, dangerous character. There's... He did it better in Goodfellas. That's all I'm saying. Time. Okay, uh, we're going to move over to Bill for his closing. Bill, you have one minute to close when you start talking. Bill the Butcher lives up to his name because he actually is a butcher. This guy will torture you psychologically. He will mess you up, and he will leave you alive to teach you that lesson because that's how that's how completely awful that guy is as a human being. I mean, Nicky Santoro will make sure he goes home to cook for his kids and take care of his wife, and he still tries to function like a decent person, even when he's doing awful things. I am not intimidated by a guy who's putting on a front of a decent person. I am intimidated by a guy that will, like, flex out in fucking public and beat a cop to death, cracking his head open in full view of everybody. That is not a guy I want any part of. Meanwhile, like you could kind of reason with the other guy because he's wearing a goofball suit and I could just hold my head out like this. That is not intimidating in any way, shape, or form. I'm sorry. Plus, he's way more intimidating than Goodfellas. That's the guy I definitely don't want to be around. The guy that will like beat someone to death with a gun in front of all of his friends and then dump his body out in the woods like it's fucking nothing. Time. Time. All right. Uh, we're going to move over to Kirk, who has one minute when he starts talking. Bill, you got to stick that head out of Joe Pesci's head. Uh, you're bringing back a stump. Uh, it doesn't matter what they look like. Everybody in the in the realm is terrified of Nikki. Everybody who is smart enough to be afraid of Nikki is. Uh, Nikki, uh, Bill has a lot of tools in his toolbox. He has charm. He has political influence. Uh, he's likable. People like him, want to be around him. Nikki has one tool. It's violence. That's it. And everybody knows it. Uh, again, these men both exist in a world that is dangerous, and the goal is to stay alive to the next day. If I have to sit across from one of these tables, I know I have a much better chance staying alive from uh, if, I, if I'm across the table from Bill. Because like I said, Bill has to play the game. He has to keep people happy. He has to keep his political uh, opponents happy or his, uh, his, his friends happy. He has to keep the, 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 the masses happy. So there's a lot going on. Nikki, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about keeping anybody happy, about doing his job, about satisfying you know, people above him. He's just going to, if you upset him, he will kill you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. He is always going to kill you. He's off the leash. Right. 
All right. <laughs> oh man, this is great already. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I'm happy I'm on this side of it. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 Bill made the comment about the putting the hand on his head, I saw Kirk backstage. And it made me laugh so hard. Oh, that was great. Okay. Oh man. Oh. I was very proud of that bit, by the way. Just so <laughs> no, this was stellar. This is what the whole man. <clears throat> this is gonna be nuts. Oh. Looks like Brian's ready. Cody, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, I'll go first. Uh, like I said, I alluded to it. This was tough. I thought this was great. I thought they both brought different kind of perspectives to similar but different almost. Like Bill's was very like Bill the Butcher is the look is slimy, gross, and he's also – so from like a look, he's terrifying – and then also just like his actions are also super intimidating. But Kirk was just more like, no, this guy's just a fucking maniac and he'll destroy you if you look at him the wrong way. Um, I, I went with Kirk because I thought that Kirk was able to, when he brought in the stuff about like, uh, he has to keep people happy, uh, Bill the Butcher has to keep people happy. And, you know, um, there are even moments where he spares uh, certain characters for like, um, reasons where his character in casino uh joe pesci in, Cas in casino would just murder them and i the, the bit about the line uh that kirk brought up about how uh his friend even in the desert or whatever isn't 100 feels safe with this character i thought that was a really really good like quote to bring up uh so i went with kirk cody where are you voting yeah, so if I think the question was most physically intimidating, like just going off looks, I think there was a more basis for the argument, but intimidating, did, it did not have to be just with the way they look. But I did take that into effect. That wasn't like a total discount. Um, I just think that uh, I went with Kirk. Um, I went with Kirk because I think Kirk painted more of a picture of why each character was what. Basically gives me examples for both people. Like Bill the Butcher is a politician, has to – has to for his own political interest, so he can't be that. While Nikki's unhinged, and also the fact that he brought up the point from Casino where the guys won't come to rob that casino, and he goes up to him and goes, "No, not today," and they just walk, they leave. That just proves how much of an intimidating fellow he really is. So it was close. It was a really good debate, though. Yeah. Brian, where would you have voted? I voted for Bill, actually. Um, I think Bill did a good job. He was talking about not only is he like a, a, a physical presence, you know, and he'll, he'll you know, intimidate you by just tapping on his eye with his knife and the things that he will do to people in front of everyone in public to show you what you're capable of, whereas uh, the, the Joe Pesci's character will do things in the back room. He still puts forward the, the image of a family man. And so I, I think that Kirk was arguing, in my opinion, more um, – how someone's reputation makes him dangerous. Like, oh, everyone knows to be afraid of him. Whereas I thought Bill argued why he, this, why Bill is intimidating. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to move on to the next question. Kirk leads one to zero. Uh, we'll get into the next one, which was drafted by Bill in the category of horror icons. And the question is, what is the best Freddy quote in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie? 
Uh, so, Bill, you get to kick this one off. Uh, you have one minute when you start talking. The first time I saw the first name on Elm Street, and that movie terrified me. There was a lot of things in it um, that are really just, I don't want to get into. Um, and Freddie is actually a man of few words in that film. Uh, he is uh, very scary uh, and he's very menacing, uh, but he speaks when it's necessary and it drives home a point. And the best example of that is after he murders Nancy's boyfriend and the phone rings and he says, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy, with the iconic scene of the tongue coming out of the phone. And to me, that perfectly encapsulates that character of I am in your mind. I am pure menace. I am irredeemable evil. And I am going to flaunt it in your face and get you completely scared for when I finally take you. And that is the exact why. That's why I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Best Freddy quote. Time. Okay. Uh, we'll move over to Kirk. Kirk, you now have one minute when you start talking. Don't start my time yet, Tim. I'm just going to say that uh, I'm going to censor my uh, my quote because I have kids present. So, oh, that's so fine. Don't, don't yeah, hold that against I know me. What just, you're yeah. good. You're good. Okay. Why do we love Freddy Krueger? Uh, why has he been such a popular character for five decades now? What makes him different? What sets him apart from other slasher villains? Uh, what we love about Freddy Krueger is that he actually exists in the dream world, in the subconscious of uh, his victims. And what he's able to do is he's able to go in there and find their weaknesses, you know, their hopes, their dreams, uh, their weaknesses, everything going on inside them. And he's able to pr prey on that and use that to bring about these super ironic deaths and he always has a great quote to go with a great, great line. Um, my best example of that is uh, welcome to primetime B. I have kids in the room, so I can't say it, but welcome to primetime B. Uh, that when he kills Jennifer in uh, Dream Warriors, uh, Jennifer wants to be a TV star. That's her biggest dream in life. And um, so she's watching TV, trying to stay awake, trying to avoid Freddy. Uh, and Freddy, the TV comes to life. He sticks his head out, has the antennas, and he says, welcome to primetime, B. This is your chance that you're never going to get. This is what you wanted. I'm not even taking your life. I'm taking your dreams away. So that's what right. he does. All right. Uh, Five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. So while yours is good, and if the question was iconic, I probably would have went with you on that one. But we're looking for the best as far as Freddy the character. And the reason why I wouldn't go with yours is because it is the beginning of the downfall of that character. It's where they made him this punchline joke of like, like a, he's almost a pale imitation of what he once was. And Freddy works when he is scary, when he is menacing. He doesn't work when he's testing out his cat skills routines before trying to kill somebody. And they just make him this like cartoonish flop of what he used to be. And that is my main gripe with that line specifically. It, it is beginning there. And then you can just pin and just like a downward spiral of four, five, six, all not good. Whereas mine... It's more of like there's the evil, there's a menace to it. Like this is just it's also disgusting. Like Freddy's disgusting. 
we got to really get on to the fact that Freddie is a murdering pedophile and we shouldn't nerf that with. Witness. Okay, I would say I would disagree with you. I think I know there may be some hardcore old school fans who agree with you like that more like quiet, like just straight up serial killer Freddy. Um, I don't think in these in this in this franchise he's uh kinetically a, a pedophile, he's just child murder. But anyway, um he he most people when they think of Freddy, they think of the quippy, funny guy, and that's what sets him apart, and that's what people like him. And that's honestly why this franchise lasts as long as he did. That's why they changed it because they needed to do something to the character to change him up, and they made him funny. And that's and that's kind of the downfall of your of your uh, thing is that it's before he becomes like the guy who's putting out all these great one liners. Um, I think you know if you were to say I you used use the word iconic for yours. Um, and I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I, I think yours is just a throwaway. Here's the thing about Freddy. The th great thing about Freddy's lives is they're so personalized to the event and to the person he's killing. Freddy killed a lot of boyfriends. He could have said, I'm your boyfriend now to just about anybody. Um, it's, it's really not a unique line for Nancy uh, or in that situation. Again, this is the, the proto Freddy before he gets really super creative and interesting with his kills and with his dialogue. It absolutely is very very much tailored to her because she is watching she knows what's happening she saw him go into his house like she knows something's happening with glenn but she's locked in and she can't get out and then not only does he murder then he taunts her with it and not to mention let's also face the fact that this is a teenage girl this is an underage teenage girl and he is being lewdly sexual with her in this scene and it is fucking gross you can say all you want but i'm sorry they went the wrong direction and that's why it petered out after a while. It's like, because while your line might be iconic, it's definitely not the best because then we get, Oh, bon appetit bitch. And Oh, here we go. Let's like overdrive and just one after another. And it's how many times can we just make the same bad joke and make it not funny and also rob Freddie of the thing that he was actually, which was scary. He is no longer scary. It's like jokes at this point. It's bad comedy. I would say that you're right. That down the line, they they, they weren't all winners. And this is, but I think this is the this movie is the perfect balance of him being quippy and funny and not being a joke as he might have became later. And I think what's great about this one and why this is a great example is because, like I said, he's not just killing this girl. He's using her hopes and dreams. This is just a very tragic, sad character. She wants to be a TV star. She wants to be an actor. But you know she's never going to be. She's stuck in this, in this mental institution. She has all these problems. She's never going to achieve her hopes and dreams. So what does Freddie do? This, and you talk about gross and disgusting and evil. He takes, he, he takes her dreams and her hopes, the television, everything she built her life around. And that's what he uses to kill her. He's not just ending her life. He's saying I'm, he's mocking her in it. And it makes and you hate looks... him, but it also makes it so much fun. And then it looks hilarious because her head is hanging out of a TV that clearly wouldn't support her body. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a punchline and it falls flat because it, it's like, you say it works, but it doesn't. It's because this is where like, oh, what's wrong? Are you tongue tied? I don't believe a fairy tales kid. Whereas this is God. I'm your boyfriend now. Like, I'm sorry. It's not supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be like, I am fucking with you because I am an awful human being. And he is a pedophile. I'm sorry. He is. If you, if you, if you, I mean, that's, that's he's a, a murdering pedophile. A, I yeah, shouldn't he murdered, be he rooting for this fucking he, your, thing. Your, your, your character survives. Mine dies. Um, but if you want to talk how it looks like the rubber tongue sticking Nancy out of the phone, later. that looks ridiculous. That tongue in the phone is more jokey. I, la I laughed at that more than I laughed at anything in my scene because that, that effect is so bad. So if you want to talk about just how hokey it is. 
that your your seed's pretty hokey as well. Yours like is I, also just as hokey. I'm sorry, but so. but like I said, like I said, Freddie's sweet spot is when he is funny and you hate him, but you're laughing at the same time, and that's what my line. Funny Freddie's no good. Uh, all right, uh, Kirk, you are going to close first on this one. You get one minute when you start talking. Bill doesn't like Funny Freddy. That's okay, but that's what kept this this series going, and that's what kept this char- character alive. And that's what most people, ninety nine percent of people who who know anything about Nightmare on Elm Street, that's the Freddy Krueger they know. That's the Freddy Krueger they love. That's what sets him apart from other just basic slasher killers is those creative kills, those creative lines. Like I said, this one is tailor made to this character. She is so hopeful and so dreaming so much of this, and he not only takes her life, he sucks her dreams away from her. He takes everything she wanted out of life, and he uses that to destroy her, that ironic kill. That's the iconic, ironic Freddy Krueger kill. Uh, I'm your boyfriend now. Like I said, this is the beginning of Freddy. The kill isn't very creative or original. I mean, it's it's, it's a great, gory kill, but when it comes to the character, it doesn't really have anything to do with character. It's just a kill in a slasher movie, and then he says kind of a throwaway line. Like he said, he could have said this, you know, how many boyfriends has Freddy killed in these movies? A lot. He goes to this anybody. My line is specific, tailor-made to this character, and that's what Freddy does so well, is he tailor-makes his kills, tailor-makes his quips. All right. Uh, We're going to move over to Bill. Bill, you have one minute when you start talking. I'm going to drive the point that Nancy also does die later, so he does eventually kill Nancy, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Perfectly summarizes the absolute evil, disgusting menace that is Freddy Krueger, and you are wrong. It is not when everyone made everything a joke and he became this, like, stand-up comedy act. Uh, It ruined the franchise. It progressively got worse to the point where they had to reboot it and make him scary again in New Nightmare. That's what joke Freddy does. It irrevocably damages the character beyond repair, and then they have to jumpstart the thing all over again in a completely different fashion. Whereas mine is still beloved and upheld as a classic because he is a man of few words, but he is inside your head, and he is constantly being a gross human being, like monster, stalking these kids, preying on their weaknesses, and getting them when they're the most vulnerable and alone. And that perfectly encapsulates the scene where he has murdered Glenn and he is taunting Nancy with it. Like, it's just fucking terrible. Time. All right. Bring in the judges. My dog's been outside for that whole question. I wonder if he's going to come back. To be clear, this hurt my person because uh, Dream Warriors is my favorite. I'm Street <laughs> <laughs> it really is. This really hurt. I should have said that before I voted. Um, <laughs> no. I don't know. I fucking hate this person. So, not the person. You could be talking about either one of us, Kirk. Just over. He hates Freddy. You could be talking about a lot of people. Yeah, actually, fair. <laughs> yeah, you know me too well. <clears throat> All right, uh, Brian, you're kicking us off on this one. Um, this one got a little bit into the woods, I think, when they got it started talking about if the TV could handle the weight of the person versus the hokey special effects in the tongue and things to do with the scene that had nothing to do with the quote itself. Um, it also got into, you know, which movies were better, which ones were still held in high esteem, things like that. But when the question is just about the quote itself, um, I did end up going with Kirk 
Um, I think that uh, he made some good points as, as far as uh, how Bill may not like where the series went, uh, you, you know, but that is definitely a turning point where it went. Um, and I, I think that uh, especially when he talked about how this is a line that could have been said to any of a number of people, whereas uh, his was specific to that one situation, that one person. Okay. Uh, I'll, yeah, I agree with you. I thought this was, it, it got into the woods a little bit is a good way to put it. Um, I, I, I still thought that they, it, it was a weird fight. I, 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 I struggled voting on this one a little bit up until the end. I actually, I went with Bill. Um, I thought that Bill's, um, the whole, like, yeah, the needing to reboot the franchise and any, everything, like, that that didn't really matter to me. But what kind of sealed it for me was the whole thing about just that Freddy, the way that Freddy is, like, taunting and uh, being this, like, gross, disgusting character towards Nancy. Again, very similar to Kirk's thing with the TV. I just thought that Bill's overall, like, description of the character, the scene, I thought that he had a good takedown of Kirk when... Kirk said it's just like another kill or whatever. And Bill was like, no, it's not. Like he was watching. Nancy saw it happen and now he's taunting it. I thought that worked well. It helped me with the scene or helped with contextualize the quote. So uh this was a this was a tough one. And but I went with Bill. Uh Cody, who gets the point? So <laughs> I've only seen one Friday the 13th movie, and I absolutely not Friday the 13th. This is Nightmare, um, on Elm. Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, which shows you're in bigger weeds than you know for picking this nominee judge. Um, uh, I despise this character. Uh, we got into a moral stance on what this crimes this uh, person that's been burnt and goes in dreams has committed. Don't think it mattered. When I boiled it down, I don't care like what happens in the scene. I have to go based on what the quote is. The quote is what I was judging on. It didn't matter. It felt like we got into like a pretentious like where did Freddy start going downhill and where was he the best and what he did and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, I did some quotes and who described the quote and why the quote meant the most to it. The person that painted the exact picture was Kirk for me because of the takedowns versus of thing like the hopes and dreams and shattering and using the thing in front of her and his counter to there's so many boyfriends that he could have said this to anyone. I didn't really hear a counter, like a huge counter to hit those with. Besides that the TV looked terrible. The whole series, everything looks terrible. But with what I've seen, so, yeah. Boo on you. On yeah, I'm sorry, no. being terrible. I uh, hate that you like it. This is the one thing in our friendship. I hate that you enjoy this. I hate it. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that means Kirk wins the point. Kirk is up two to zero. Uh, we're going to get into the next question which was drafted uh, by Kirk. It is in the category of the Wizarding World. And the question is, uh, what is the most heroic moment in a Harry Potter movie? Uh, so, Kirk, you get to kick this one off. You have one minute to open when you start talking. A lot of different ways to be a hero. Uh, I went with Dobie, uh, Do I'm sorry, Dobby, rescuing the gang at the end of Deathly Hallows 1. Uh, he comes in, he stands up to uh, the, the, uh, the Death Eaters that are gathered there, um, and he stands up to them, he puts himself at risk, 
and um, knowing that even though he's technically free, these people still see him as property. And um, not only is he standing up to them, uh, but he is standing up to centuries of a culture that told him that he was worthless, uh, that he had no value other than to serve these people. And he's standing up to people who have, who have abused him and held him down all his whole life. Um, so he stands up to them uh, and he finally makes his stand against them. Uh, he is, um, he saves this group at his own. He knows if he, if he fails, even if he kills one of them, the rest of them are going to take him and he's going to die a pretty horrible death. He knows the consequences of what he's doing, but he goes against them. He goes against everything he's ever known in life and he saves his friends. He rests them. He sacrificed his life. Most heroic scene. All right. Uh, move over to Bill. Bill, you have one minute when you start talking. I apologize if I mispronounce any of these names, just so we're clear. <clears throat> Having watched all these films now, and uh, there was one thing that stuck out for me, and it was my personal favorite, and it is the character of Neville Longbottom. And what a journey he went on through all of these movies. And to me, has the bar none, hands down, drop the mic, heroic moment of slaying Nagini at the end of The Deathly Howls Part 2. Um, it is one of the most badass things in the entire franchise. Uh, it's this kid you've seen just be completely disregarded or just thought to be a bumbling imbecile who not only grows into like a fine young man, but when it is the absolute do or die moment steps up and saves everybody. And I mean, everybody. He is on a losing team, and he manages to pull it together and get the job done, killing a horror crux single-handedly, also saving Ron and Hermione. Time. Okay. Uh, one minute, or one minute. Whoa, that'd be quick. Uh, five minutes when one of you starts talking. I'll say this about your scene, Bill. Awesome, kick-ass scene. Totally Total, is. just hell yeah. Fucking you know, yes. scene. That said, I don't think this is a great example. Of bra I don't think this is uh, Neville's bravest moment. I think this is the bravest moment in this movie. Uh, first of all, Neville stumbles upon a weapon that he knows is has killed creatures like the Guinea, bigger and more powerful <coughs> than the Guinea. And so if you put a machine gun in my hands, you say, hey, go stop those people that harass your family. I'm going to go do it not because I'm brave, brave, but because I know what the machine gun can do. So I don't think that's a great uh, example of bravery. Uh, when he's armed like that. And also, he comes in from the side, doesn't put himself in danger. If he doesn't make that hit, Ron Hermione still get eaten, and he's got a chance to get away. So I don't think he's being super brave in the situation. Okay, number one, here's why that statement is completely wrong, is because he doesn't just happen upon a sword. That sword appears to him because that is the sword of the House of Gryffindor, and it only appears to the truly heroic. So it doesn't just, he happens upon it. It presents himself to him because that sword knows he is the most heroic. Now, as far as Dobby goes, I wouldn't say it's heroic because he's not there to save the gang. He's there as a tool for Aberforth. Like they call on Aberforth and Aberforth just says, okay, we're going to send over Dobby and he's just going to use some quick magic to get you out of this cell so we can get out of this house. And then they're going to get caught, but they're going to be kept alive. So even if they, even if he doesn't get them out, they're just going back into the jail cell. If Neville, Mrs. Nagiri, they're all dead. Everybody dead. Dumbledore wins. There is like escaping stakes and end of the world stakes. And I'm sorry, 
the stakes are way higher in my scene. And it's just a beautiful culmination for Neville as a character. Also, I fucking applauded when Dobby died because fuck him. Just so okay. clear. Well, whoa. Okay, that's fine. Um, stakes don't matter. Um, it's what the person is doing. Um, first of all, the sword appears to him, but yeah, he has the sword. If a machine gun appears to me and I could use it, I want to use it. So, um, but that machine gun's Dob- not appearing Dob- to Dobby you if set, you're not Dob- worthy. Dobby, Dobby set he had, but he doesn't have to go. You, you know, Neville's in the middle of this fight. He's already fighting. Dobby comes in. He, we're going to send you to these people who have tortured you and abused you your entire life. And you have to go stand up to it to save your friends. And it doesn't matter if you, I mean, again, stakes don't matter, but if Harry Potter stays in, in, in the cell, you know, he's going to get killed eventually. But like again, st- stakes aren't an issue here. It's just a matter of what they do. Dobby stands up to these people he, who have who have held him down his entire life. And he stands up and he threatens them. He takes her wand. He takes a wand from this person. He takes their power away from them. The power they've taken away from them. Essentially, what Dobby's doing here, this is the Wizarding World version of a slave revolt. He's standing up to, to his masters who have held him down his entire life. So, again, he comes into a fight that he's not in, that he can avoid. He, he's a free elf. He doesn't have to do this. Devil's already in the fight. Neville's already there. He sees a weapon. Okay, I'll go sneak attack and, um, and, and kill this thing that I know this thing, have no doubt this thing is going to kill because I've, I've, I have evidence that it's done it before. He's in no danger. He does not put himself in danger. His friends are still in danger if he fails. And he has a chance to get away. So there's, I mean, again, stakes don't matter. If you look at just what the person is doing, Dobby is so much more. Stakes absolutely matter, number one. Number two, he has been beaten. He has been bloodied. If you want to talk about who's had a hard time, Neville's entire life has been made fucking miserable. The only person who has suffered more under Voldemort is probably Harry. Like, the Death Eaters made his parents fucking vegetables, and they're in a constant living hell. And he has been picked on. This kid has been just completely down his entire life. Everybody has ridiculed him. He has been mocked and he has become the hero of this moment. Whereas like, honestly, if that, if it's a split second later and Dobby does it like that, that night doesn't go through that scene is not very heroic. It's just, they managed to escape. Dobby's a tool in that scene. He's not an actually doing an heroic thing. He's doing the job that is tasked of him. Just, yeah, he's that is that. it. He's choosing to do the task which is to go back to the most hellish, horrible place that he could think of that, that you could send him. And he goes and he does it probably because he's standing up and he's protecting his friends. He makes a choice. What Neville does, he does in the moment because he's already in the fight. Because he's making Dobby, a choice to Dobby, save Dobby, everybody. Dobby, Dobby makes a, a, a very specific choice to go face these people who have ruined his life, who have held him captive, who have made him a slave. And he stands up to him and he stops them and he defeats them. The stakes are irrelevant. It's the personal thing that they're going through is 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 what matters here and dobby is so much more heroic than neville is here and even, neville, neville is conquering the, the people that have made his life and his family a living hell i'm sorry like you can harp on that all the, you want the snake and didn't absolutely do that devil is the stepping up do in the moment to save everything the snake didn't uh, torture his family <laughs> that's a good new quote the snake didn't torture his family uh <laughs> i like that all right bill you get to close first you got one minute when you start talking Dobby's not heroic. Dobby didn't make a choice. Dobby was just sent there. Dobby's a tool and a means of escape. And honestly, he doesn't die. There's fucking nothing happens. It's fine. Like, the only reason why you're saying that is because he died and gave himself. And, like, whatever. That doesn't matter. Meanwhile, Neville, who we've watched just, like, as a kid, who couldn't even handle the basic concept of flying, who couldn't do simple, like, protective magic, who goes through ridicule, who manages to stand up to not only a bunch of 
fucking jerk off teachers in like, you know, I can't remember their house name. The one with the fucking green one. I don't care. But when the chips were down, he is beaten. He has been just brutalized and he sees his friends are about to die. They are going to lose and they are going to lose the man who has ruined his life and his family. The sword, which only presents itself to the truly heroic, so I don't care who fucking finds it, it presented itself to him. He kills a fucking Horcrux single-handedly and saves his friends and the entire school. Fucking Neville. Respect. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, Kirk, one minute when you start talking. Dobby is not a tool. Dobby is a free elf. Bill, you sound like a Death Eater when you say that about him. He made it. He made a free will choice to go do this. Um, Neville, yeah, he had a hard time, but you know what else he had? He had years of Hogwarts. He had years of training under McGonagall and Dumbledore with Harry Potter and Hermione. All these people building him up. Uh, Dobby did not have that. Dobby had none of that. Dobby was on his own. He was a slave. He was a servant, and he faced these people. You want to talk about? Neville standing up to the people who tortured him and his family, then talk about the scene where he stands up to Dumbledore. That's the scene you want. Nagini didn't torture his family. Nagini didn't kill anybody. And like I said, he comes in. His attack is a sneak attack from the side with a weapon that appeared to him. Yeah, you know what? There's probably two dozen Hogwarts people or, uh, or uh, uh, Gryffindors this could appear to. He was the closest. He was there. He had proximity, so it appeared to him. He takes the sword, comes in from the side, makes a side hit, doesn't take his friends immediately out of danger if he hits. Dobby stands up for his friends, sacrifices life, heroic sacrifice, stakes of power. All right. Oh, man. <laughs> I've, ne I've never wanted to jump into a fight more in my entire life. Same. Same. The, the amount of canon consistencies <laughs> that were made were fantastic. They're not going to judge my oh, oh, man. That was great. No, but as a judge, I'm able to discredit bullshit. <laughs> but I know that it's not 100%. There is fact-checking. Yeah. That's fair. I, I, I always say the fact-checking. I'm just waiting. To, or, do we all have our votes written? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I believe Brian is kicking this. No, Cody. Cody. Cody, you are kicking this one. You never want me to go first. Jeez. It's I'm such so, sorry. so sorry. It's all right. Um, I do love... The Hail Mary attempt at the very end of the closing argument that says, like, proximity of another Gryffindor that Neville would have got some, that somebody uh, like Jenny would have also gotten the sword in those moments. I think that, I think that, I, I love the last pitch ever. It was really good. I think there was an opening that was presented in this fight that happened, and then he basically brought up, like, the, the whole, uh, like, the machine gun. He brought the sword into play. He did that. And Bill was able to like slap it back down with the exact reason of why that sword appears, which is a huge moment. They're both good. I like the side glance. I like there's a lot of like takeaways. Like he's not facing it head on. <coughs> you know, they're all going through, and a sword comes through too. It just happens to hit the one. So that didn't take into account that like it could have hit anybody. Uh, I went with Bill. I think Bill just overall. Was able to at least explain and take care, take take advantage of the opening that was created. All right, Brian. Um, I think um, Kirk, especially for the first half of the argument, I kept using the word brave uh, in, in describing uh, Dobby um, and how he you know, overcame his what what he's been turned into a slave, and he kind of came back. Um, 
where I, I don't think I don't know if Brave and Heroic are necessarily even uh, exactly the same thing, although it definitely plays into it. Um, I do think that uh, I, I did vote for Bill as well. Uh, I do think that Bill made a good case for for Neville, especially in terms of you know how the sword presented itself, um, because yes, it could have been anybody apparently, um, but uh, the fact is it knew he was heroic, even if he was just one of many who could have been heroic. Anybody who's played me in fandom or watched me knows that I don't know nothing about Harry Potter, so I don't fact check. I'm going strictly by the argument I'm hearing here. <laughs> um, but and then as as many times as Kirk tried to set, set it, I don't think he convinced me that uh, stakes were irrelevant. So I think that I think the stakes uh, played a big part in the argument as well. Uh, I also went with Bill. I I thought Bill kind of owned this the whole time. Like I think that I I think on paper the moment of Dobby's death saving harry potter and his friends is is a great movie moment it's an awesome moment but i think that bill kind of nailed it on the head of when i saw the answers and i was talking about it with nick where we were both kind of like yeah he just kind of go like he doesn't really do anything like i i think kirk did the like made me think about it a lot more than i was thought about like having to go back to the malfoy's house that's not like all that was not something I was thinking about, but I thought that Bill just did a, a great job of explaining the history of Neville. Um, and then, yeah, I agree with Brian. I thought the stakes did matter in it. Um, and when, when put into context, um, I also wanted to say that the thing that weirdly annoyed me the most is uh, there are not a lot of other people around when Neville gets the sword. It's, it's there's like no one around, uh, but that's okay. That's neither here nor there. That didn't sway me one way, but uh <laughs> When he kills the snake, there's people around, but not when it appears in the hat. Anyway, uh, great shit. I thought that was a really good fight. Um, let's get into the next one. Bill's on the board. It is two to one. Can um, we do a quick minute? I just need a bathroom break, and I have like two minutes. Is that okay? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Cut. Sorry. Here. Yeah. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to move into question number uh, four, prep question number four. This was drafted by Bill. Uh, it is in the category of actors. The question is, what Jeffrey Combs non-fandom film has the best plot? Uh, so, Bill, you get to kick this off. You got one minute when you start talking. So for Kirk's behalf, I did pick something that did get theatrically released and it's not a B-movie. But as far as uh, the best Jeffrey Combs movie with the best plot, I went with Would You Rather, which is a very simple but very disturbing tale of a young woman who has a very sick brother and she can't afford his medical bills. And she is put in contact with a very wealthy aristocrat who says, hey, if you come to my house for this dinner party, uh, you know, there may be a possibility we can get everything taken care of. And it is a horribly demented game of would you rather where these people are put through just absolute physical and psychologically gruesome torture of hey would you rather have a firecracker go off in your hand or you want to hold your head in a barrel for five minutes and it's just like just awful and it's her struggle to get through this and try to give her and her brother a better life uh it's very hard to watch it's very gruesome and it's also very sad. It's very good. Would you rather? Excellent movie. Okay. Um, we're going to move over to Kirk, who has one minute to open his argument when he starts talking. 
plot's hard to find, but I look at it as the events that move your story along. It's what you hang your story on. And I picked a move, a Jeffrey Combs movie I think has a great plot, very interesting. It's very well paced. Uh, I went with The Frighteners. Uh, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. Uh, in this movie, Michael J. Fox plays a man who has had an accident, and as a result of the near-death experience, now he can see ghosts. And um, he used this ability basically to swindle people. He uh, wrangles some ghost friends. He has them go haunt houses. And he goes and he's a paranormal ex expert to exercise these houses. Uh, now these strange uh, deaths start happening. The people who are close to him he's working with. And um, it's basically a ghost serial killer. And Michael J. Fox has to is the only person who could see it. So he's trying to save these people. But by trying to save them, he has to put himself in close proximity to the murders. And so now he is the, sus the prime suspect. The FBI comes in. There's a um, Jeffrey Combs himself plays a uh, FBI expert who is um, after him and is, uh, is, 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 is suspecting him of the murders. Uh, Michael J. Fox has to uh, save his girlfriend. And time. OK, five minute so freeform. <clears throat> one of you starts talking. Um, Bill, your movie, you use a lot of adjectives for your movie, and they're all right. Um, everything you said about is correct. But you picked a movie that doesn't really have a plot. Um, everybody shows up. We know why one character's there. We don't know why anybody else is there. They sit down to the table, and they play Would You Rather, and the rest of the movie is torture porn. Uh, they sit there, and they play one round, and then they play another round, and they play another round. And about the third in, there's a, there's a, a uh, escape attempt that's foiled almost immediately after it starts. And the movie goes back as if it never happened. They play Would You Rather, and they play Would You Rather, and then just the movie ends. Um, your movie is, like I said, it's interesting, um, but there's not a lot of plot here. For, this, for call this the best plot when there's really not much plot at all, I don't know where you're coming at with that. I mean, yours is uh, telegraphed a mile away, and I see everything coming before it even happens. Yours is completely guessable, and it was also better when it was Ghostbusters. Um just saying, uh, it, it's it, it, it's a movie that's trying to be yours is a movie that's trying to be too many things and it's not succeeding in either. It's trying to be a comedy and it's also trying to be scary. And while Peter Jackson's a great director, we've seen great directors who have been given not the right material, not do a good job. This was definitely his most mid film because of it. It's his it's his Angley's Hulk. It doesn't work out for me. I'm sorry. It's just not very good. The jokes are just hackneyed. And also, Michael Keaton is completely miscast. I don't buy him as a con man for even a second. Like, it just doesn't work. Whereas in my movie, uh, Jeffrey Combs totally works as a completely slimy aristocrat, a rich guy who is watching these people just uh, completely debase themselves for his six pleasures. And you want to talk about no plot? This whole movie is basically a wonderful political allegory for just how the rich use the poor as their fucking entertainment because they're demented jerk-offs. So I don't know how you didn't get a plot out of that. And also the stakes in my movie are a lot more personable and a lot more palpable. All right, you're throwing a lot of stuff at me. You're talking about story. You're talking about genre. You're compared to other movies and material direction. None of this has anything to do with plot. Um, I agree with you. Uh, acting in my movie, not that great. Uh, the the joke a lot of the jokes don't land, but the plot's fantastic. The plot is complete is constantly moving forward, keeping the story progressed. You have Michael J. Fox uh, is 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 stuck in the situation where he has to continue to keep following these people who are, who are dying, and because of that, he has to he he's a suspect. Um, he has that near death experience. Peter Combs character or uh, yeah Jeffrey Combs character is brought in as this FBI agent because when he's when uh, 
Michael J. Fox is, is in death form. They need something to uh, keep keep the uh, action going as far as the, the the living people goes, and that's what he's there for. There's all kinds of plot. Your story, like I said, you you have Jeffrey Combs in your movie is great. He's a great psychopath. We have no idea why he's doing it. We're never told why he's doing it. He's just there doing it to do awful things, awful people. But there again, there's no plot progression. The story doesn't progress. The story is the same. Your movie could be a half hour longer or a half hour shorter. The only thing that changes is how many people are, are suffer and die. All right, there's first no, off, what there's, you, no, there's, there, there's some great stuff in your movie, but there's no plot. What are you, fucking cinema sins? You need everything fucking drawn out to you until it's like that exists. He's doing it because he likes to do it. They've been doing this for years. They allude to that. Like that they have always been doing this kind of stuff. This is the sick game that they play and they enjoy making people's lives a living hell. Your movie is a complete, like, it's not even that good a plot because it's completely guessable. It's also that story it's funnier in Ghostbusters and the subject matter is handled much more expertly. And I can't believe I'm going to give this person a fucking compliment in the sixth sense where that whole genre of I can see the dead and this is how I'm going to like much better done in that one. Peter Jackson's lost in this one. It's in his in-between phase of when he was cranking out fantastic stuff like Bad Taste, but before he became that like completely like great director doing Lord of the Rings. The plot of this movie is, oh, I'm a comment, I see ghosts. Oh, and I'm going to use that to make money. Oh, but there's everybody that happens to be a serial killer. And like if you like you figure it out a million miles away. It, it, it like Bill, Bill, that's yeah. story, that's story. That's not plot. That's the story. That's, that's the plot of your film, but that's it's like story. completely no, guessable. That, that the story is guessable. That's not the plot. And you could talk about all the movies you like better than Frighteners. That doesn't make your movie have a plot. My movie, movie does is have they a plot. sit down and they play a game. It's torture porn. It's just watching these horrible things happen to these people. And I was intrigued because I'm like, oh my God, what horrible thing is going to happen? But there's no plot. It's the movie is the same. They take characters in, they take characters out, and the movie doesn't change. There's the no movie, that's plot. the beauty there's, of there's my movie. The plot is simple, story. but the plot is effective. Yours is overly complicated. Your story is simple. You don't have a plot. The plot it's is a, simple. It doesn't matter if it's an allegory or whatever. You, your movie is a situation. There's no plot. No, my plot is simple. Yours is convoluted and messy. Prime. All right. Um, Kirk, we're going to start with you. You have one minute to close when you start talking. My plot isn't convoluted and messy. My plot exists. There's things going on. The movie's progressing. It's, it's, it's a very fast-paced movie. Bill's throwing a ton of stuff. He's throwing character. He's throwing script. He's throwing jokes. He's throwing other movies that he likes better. But it doesn't affect the plot. My movie, for all to the weaknesses, has a great plot. It's very interesting. The, it, and it keeps you intrigued as you're going forward, as you see him going through these different situations. Like I said, it's so great because he goes into ghost form for this near-death experience, uh, Michael J. Fox does, and, uh, and Jeffrey Combs is there to keep the story, the plot, the story moving forward with the plot it, uh, by putting his girlfriend in danger. There's so many different things in this movie uh, that just the, the, it, it, it continues to move and move and change and things happen. Nothing happens in Bill's movie other than these people sit down and they're tortured for 90 minutes. Like I said, there's a very quick movie. There's a few misdirects, uh, an attempt to escape, a rescue, but it's misdirect to make you think there's going to be a plot. There's not a plot in this movie. Nothing changes. There's, there's no progression. It's just the same thing for 90 minutes. Time. Okay. Uh, we're going to move over to Bill, who has one minute when he starts talking. The plot of the Frighteners is barely there. It's also very guessable. It was also done better in other movies. 
uh, the plot works much better in Ghostbusters. Hell, fucking Star of Echoes handled that better than the Frighteners did. My movie, simple, effective. Sometimes the simple plot is all you need. Look at fucking Rope. It's one room. It's three people. It's like a party, but like it's gripping. And that's what this movie is. It is a very simple plot of let's put these complete strangers in an impossible situation and then just test their will. And it is brutal to watch. And poor Brittany Snow just goes through so much to get through this film. Uh, it, it's it's simple and it's effective. And that's why this works as a whole. That is convoluted nonsense. That doesn't really much make any sense. And not to mention, there's nothing different by the end of the film. It, it, everybody's the, the exact same. She is completely changed and a completely different person by the end of this film because of the events of this plot. Time. Okay. Let's bring in the judges. I had to Google the word plot. <laughs> Maybe I didn't know exactly what the word was. A plan made in secret by a group of people trying to do something. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that is one plan. Yeah. That is also a plot. Okay, I'm going first. Um, I went with Kirk. Um, I thought that Kirk did a good job of explaining plot of his film. Uh, I have seen The Frighteners. I haven't seen Bill's movie, but based off of uh, what everyone was saying, I, I think I would. I think I would probably enjoy Bill's film. Uh, that being said, though, I just Kirk really sold it and brought it home about how there really is not a lot of plot going on in uh, Bill's movie. Um, and Bill kept throwing out stuff like, you know, your plot is convoluted, but I didn't really hear any reason as to why it was convoluted. Like, what about it was convoluted? Um, it was done better in other movies. Okay, what about it was done better in other movies? Like, it was just like Bill was naming other movies that were similar and saying that they were better but that doesn't really have a lot to do with why the plot of the Frighteners was bad. So um, I, I went with Kirk. Uh, Cody. Yeah, I've died on a plot question before. Um, it's been some of the most painful debate of my life, thinking you're debating something that you can just, oh, yeah. But when it, somebody like throws it and throws it back in your face over and over, it's a brutal, brutal fight. Um, I hate the questions. No offense, Tim. I love it. Love you. Love you. Beautiful. I just hate plot questions. Um, but I went with Kirk because I think he handled it and handled plot the best. Ryan. Uh, yeah, I think I think I remember Kirk talking about <clears throat> plot questions as well. I, I think that they're kind of hard to answer, but he clearly put in a lot of work to specify what was and wasn't plot. Um, I, I, I would have gone with Kirk as well. I felt like this was the most one-sided of the whole match so far. Um, not because Bill was making a bad argument because I, I, I've actually seen would you rather, I agree with everything he said. It's brutal. It's gory. It's, it's simple and effective. Um, but yeah, but it, but it doesn't, I, I don't think that he described much of a plot. Every time he tried to say what it was about, he was saying what it's about. He's giving the scenario. He was giving the, the, uh, the concept of it. But that's not the plot. The plot of the story as it moves forward and where the story goes from there. 
Um, whereas Kirk did a much better job of supporting his. Okay. Uh, so here's the situation. Uh, Kirk is up three to one as we get into the final uh, prep question. So Bill needs to hit this in order to send it to the bonus. If Kirk hits this, he will win. Uh, so the question is in the category of classics. And the question is, what classic Akira Kurosawa character would you never want to meet in real life? Uh, so we are going to start with Kirk. You have one minute to open when you start talking. A lot of good options for this question. I went with somebody who you really can't escape or get away from. I picked the uh, the old ghost woman from Throne of Blood. If you're not familiar with Throne of Blood, uh, basically it's a retelling of Macbeth. The uh, old ghost woman is, is a stand-in for the, the the witches, the weird sisters. And um, the reason I do not want to meet this person is, A, because she is terrifying uh, to look at. She has like this old woman, like demonic look to her. Her voice is haunting and just nerve-wracking uh she traps you in her realm uh with fog she can keep you there as long as she wants uh so it is not a pleasant experience just basically the stuff of nightmares made up uh but the more reason is because if i run into this person i'm not going to come across them randomly if i run into this person or this creature it's because i am doomed uh basically she is foretelling my doom and she brought me there to do that and to revel in it uh there my, my fate is sealed uh i'm probably going to die or at least my life is ruined and i can't escape it I, it, the, 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 I'm already dead once I've met this person. So it's the worst person that cares how you can meet. Time. All right. Uh, we'll move over to Bill. Bill, you have one minute when you start talking. So the one person in a Kurosawa movie I would not like to meet is uh, Tajimuro. Uh, and I apologize if I have butchered the pronunciation of that name. But basically, he is the bandit played by Toshiro Mufuni in the ever-classic Rashomon. Uh, this guy's a murderer. This guy's just an awful human being. Um, and we can get into the whole debate of, well, maybe he's not a, a reliable narrator. But the the... The person he chooses to present himself as is a is a basically a stealing murderer. Um, he is, cackles like a maniac. Uh, he has no regard for anybody else. Uh, just a vile, awful, awful human being. Um, he's just constantly just yelling. He is just like ready to pounce. Like just nothing good comes from this guy. I've been around people like this my whole life. And when I see a person like this, that wants to like, even if they're lying, pretend they're tough. I want nothing to do with them. Cause they're just absolutely awful time. Okay. Uh, five minute free form. When one of you. starts. Bill, if it's all right with you, I'd like to hit you with a couple of bullet points about your character. And then I'll let you rebut. Does that work? Okay. Why not? Okay. Um, first of all, we, first time we see that your character in real time, he is on trial for his life. And he is distracted. He's not paying attention because he's too busy staring directly at the sun. So, A, your guy's not too bright. Uh, mm -hmm. Secondly, he comes across, like you said yourself, he is obviously crazy. Uh, he, the, the laughing fits, the nervous ticks. You see him coming a mile away. And you know you can give him a wide berth and avoid him. The only reason that his victim gets murdered is because he's dumb enough to go to a second location with this guy. If you're smart, you won't do that. Third thing is, like you said, he is an unreliable narrator. But at the end of the movie, we get the real story. We get the actual turn of events. And we find out that your guy is cowardly and not a very good fighter. 
So overall, I mean, he's but we also find out what to be around. We but... also find out he's a fucking rapist. And of all the things in all of these movies, I don't want to be around somebody who is a rapist or possibly a murderer. And let's talk about yours. Um, like, if, if you meet this person, like, it, and like you're saying, uh, oh, it's because, uh, oh, I met my dude. Well, that's your fucking fault. First off, if you want to be a shithead and then this soothsayer is going to tell you why you're going to fucking die because you did awful things, that's on you, Jack. Like, I want to meet her. Like, I would love to meet this witch, uh, personally, because uh, her fucking truth-telling, like, future accuracy through the roof. I would immediately, me and her, go to Vegas. I'd set her up at the fucking Palms and make all the fucking money. With that kind of accuracy, are you out of your fucking mind? That's that, that's not how, how this works, but this, this this creature is does not have a high opinion of humanity, is not here to help, is not here to tell you good things. Yeah, if it is my fault, that's fine. It doesn't matter if it's my fault. It still means I'm going to die. I, maybe I did something wrong, but I'm still going to die because I met this person. And I don't want to be that person that's going to have to meet that fate. And um, now you got the info to fix it. Meanwhile, but you don't. She, she just said it in motion. That's, people. The, that's the thing about it. You, you, you can't fix it. She's just making it worse. He goes to her a second time when he has nothing else to do. He's desperate. He goes to her and they give him basically, she gives him another basic false prophecy and tells him, go kill everybody. Go paint, paint the forest with blood and basically seals his doom again. If you meet this person, they're not here to help. They're not here to do anything good for you. They're not. They, they, this person is here to, if they're if you meet them, it's not because you did something right or something right's going to happen to you. And it doesn't matter if it's my fault. I still don't want to do anything bad enough to meet this person. Yeah. Whereas my guy, I don't want to meet him because I don't know what I'm going to get. I'm either going to get a murderer, or I'm going to get a rapist, or I'm going to get an absolute fucking lunatic. So I know you said like, oh, you could just avoid them. You cannot avoid lunatics. They're everywhere. They're waiting in the fucking bushes. You don't believe me? I live in a city. They're everywhere. Whereas uh, I'm not out in some fucking woods in the land of wind and ghosts. So not to mention, fucking take her to Vegas. Put her in a room. Hundred bucks, completely accurate. I'll fucking, I'll fucking set up that loom for her. And not to mention, you have a far more awful character in your film of the Lady Macbeth analog, who is far more fascinating. The eyebrows alone make me not want to meet her. And she, more than the soothsayer, pushes your character to doing all these things. But it's the, the thing that makes her horrible is everything that the uh, that the ghost says, everything the ghost tells her. She puts into motion everything that makes her horrible, or at least brings out all those horrible things about her. That's what makes her bad. That's no, what makes she was always bad. horrible. So <laughs> she, she was well, just I mean, given the excuse. That she, was yeah, always exactly. there. So it, brought, it brought out everything she, that, that's what the ghost says. Like, oh, you hide your desires. And she brings out all these horrible things about these people. And she yeah. and she basically, like I said, their fate is sealed. She just put into motion and toying with them. I know you want to go to Vegas, but like I said, Bill, you're not going to get this person lives in a mound of human bones and skeletons. They're not here to help you. They're not here to do you any good. And like you said, your guy's a murderer, your rapist. Yeah. But like I said, everything in this movie that I know about him tells me, and like you said, you, he projects this certain thing that he's dangerous, but he's really not that bad. I mean, there are a lot of murders. Oh my God, a murdering there, rapist is there, not that bad. He, you he, hear he, yourself. He, he can be dealt with. He can be no, dealt he with. Can. A lot more. Yours there are a lot can of murders, be dealt with. All I got to do Kira is Sala not be a shithead. There are a lot of murderers or rapists in Kurosawa movies. You pick the one that is easiest to avoid and the easiest to deal with if you have to. You pick the character that is the easiest to avoid. All I got to do is not be a fucking jerk off. And then I don't have to run into this person. Crazy people are unpredictable and random like the fucking weather. 
I can do my best to avoid them, but they're out there waiting to fucking get you. You can tell me all you want. All I got to do is not travel to the land and win the ghosts to avoid yours. She, also, she, we'll she go to Vegas. To ghost you. Vegas to avoid it. Don't yell Vegas at me. <laughs> all right. Bill, you get to kick this uh, closing off one minute when you start talking. The witch is easier to avoid. I mean, all you got to do is not be a fucking human sack of fucking garbage, and then you're fine. Also, take her to Vegas. Get, you know what? Fucking go to the Bellagio. You can fucking rake in the money. Are you kidding me? Wine moms would pay a fortune to find out what the fuck's going to happen to them, and you'll be sitting pretty. My guy, I don't want to be around. A fucking murdering rapist psychopath. Like, there's nothing about him that is redeemable or good. And not to mention, Lady Macbeth was the better answer in that movie. I'll say it a million times. She is cold, emotionless, the eyebrows alone. I never want to run into her. She is more responsible for the downfall of that main character than the fucking ghost lady is. The ghost lady, you just go to Vegas and say, yeah, put fucking like 100 bucks on like 32 and you fucking, you're rich. Like, I absolutely wanted to run into her. Because, like, I also know I'm not a dickhead. So I know how to treat people with respect. You can't reason with crazy raping murderer, guys. You just can't. Avoid that shit like the plague. I want to be nowhere near it. Time. I'm so sorry. I'm not supposed to break. But, uh, Kirk, one minute when you start talking. I believe I gave enough evidence from the movie that Bill's character is not very intelligent. He's cowardly. He is not a very good fighter. And he is, you, you, he's easy to see coming. He's predictable because he, because how crazy he acts, you know what, what you're dealing with. Uh, so there are a lot of bandits, a lot of criminals, a lot of rapists, a lot of just unsavory people in Kurosawa's filmography that Bill could have picked. He picked one that, like I said, I don't want to be around this guy. I don't want to see him. But if I do, if in that situation, I can deal with it. Even if I get just got his best day, I could still run. Or I can still run away. I can hide. I have a chance. I have no chance with my character. Bill's, I guess, a perfect human being. Has no, no darkness inside of him uh, that this ghost could draw out. But that's what this ghost does. She finds the darkness inside of these people, these characters. And she draws out their, their most darkest desires. And she puts the wheels into motion. And once the wheels are in motion, they're not going to stop. Bill thinks he can avoid them. Stay away from she comes to you. She brings you to her. You can't avoid you can't avoid her. Uh much more scarier person you don't want to be around. Time. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh before oh, we man. before we get on to the racking point of order, Kirk. Thank you. I have been dying to see like Rashomon. It was fantastic. That's why I do it. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no. I've only seen one Kurosawa movie before this. What was it? I take that back. I take that back. I was not appropriate. Uh, Hidden Fortress. That's a good one. I've also only seen one Akira movie, and it is Akira. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brian. You are the first to go. Oh, good. It might be decided. I don't have to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'm with Kirk again on this one. Um, I think that that uh, from his opening, I think that he he made a real strong case for uh, why his would be the one you wouldn't want to meet. Not only because of the the character and the personality of, but what it meant the fact that you're encountering this person and that it meant that you were doomed. 
Um, so I think that that really swayed me into giving a whole other dimension as to why I wouldn't want to meet his character. Uh, this was really close for me. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I thought Bill bullshitted the, his way through this in an incredible fashion. When when Bill said the the line about uh, about um, just don't be a shitty person, I thought that was genius. Uh, I still did go with Kirk because I think that at the end of the day, Kirk was able. It's just too strong of a. There are some. There are some times where you know we write questions that are more broad to give a lot of options, and there is an a, a option like Kirk's character that he brought up that is just like, oh yeah, it's it's really hard to argue against that one. I think he picked a really strong one. It's hard to argue against. I think Bill did the best he could given those circumstances. Uh, but I think Kirk's answer was so strong, and then his knowledge of both films is just so insane that it, it was hard to beat him on that one. So I went with Kirk. Uh, Cody, where did you go? Um, I love my best friend a lot. This was not close at all. Um, <coughs> in my opinion, um, I've sat across the table and heard Kirk's how get thrown at me. Um, this question is a lot harder than the one I got. Um, I had to just go off quote. I didn't have to go off all the characters in Kurosawa. I went with Kirk overall. The fact is, it just seemed like, you know, put him at the casino and blah, blah, blah. It just didn't matter. I knew it was doomed as soon as Kirk started the round. He goes, Bill, I'm going to tell you seven things about your character. Is that okay? And when you agreed to it, I said, yikes. Um, and that's where the was resided. It was a brilliant strategy. It paid off. Yeah, and that's where it ended. All right. Well, that uh, does mean your winner is Kirk Kolkowski. Uh, so we're going to start post-match interviews. We will start with Bill. Bill, great job today. Uh, I think you Was know, it, Kirk, though? Yes, I think <laughs> it was. I genuinely yeah. do. Uh, Kirk has played a lot of people, and we. I feel like I say this a lot, but I genuinely mean it every time I say it. I don't think the score represented the performance today. Debate is really tough because people look at the end of the scoreboard and see four to one and they just think, oh, well, Bill must have sucked. Well, no, it's not the case. There were a, uh, a couple uh, split decision questions. There was one where the votes all went to you. It, it, it's, a it's a tough game, and I think that you played really, really well today. If I was in this tournament next season, I'd be fucking terrified to see uh bill on the other side of the card uh what did you think of the match and uh what, what are your thoughts out of it so i i think i now know not to prep going forward clearly <laughs> when i go in with no fucking notes i kill it so, uh no i really did I, I put in a lot on this watched a lot of these movies um retain none of it because i've I have like watched Kirk in debate. I, I know like what I was up against and uh, I did my best to prepare for that. But uh, when you're there, it's a different story. Uh, there's a reason why this guy is probably, it's going to take a court order to get this belt off him. So, uh, you yeah, know, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun though. I actually, I did better than I thought I would have. And we didn't actually uh, start calling each other names. So I'll, I'll, I'll consider that uh, impossibly respectful. So, yeah. That's fair. Uh, yeah. Bill, like I said, you're going to be in the tournament next year uh, at the start of the season. Uh, Kirk might not be the champion, 
by the time of the tournament because he will have to play another title match before the tournament starts. But you're going to be in the tournament. You're going to be playing somebody. Uh, is there anybody that you want to see on the other side, uh, considering you'll probably be a pretty high seed in this tournament? All right, there's three people. Now four. Now that I'm thinking about it, because I know names. So uh, I feel like me and Cody uh, would probably result in a lot of arrests, but it would be a lot of fun. Uh, uh, that would... That would definitely end in some name calling, among other things. So that that would be absolutely great. Um, I, I I feel like me and Mike Hanley would also be just hilarious. We all win. Who cares? So uh, that is just just so much fun. Um, one of my good friends is in this league too, and I've never gotten to play him in anything. So uh, like gun to my head, Amaru. I would love to be on the other side of that. Uh, that would be a hoot and a half, but, uh, the one I would really love to yell at is Coho. I feel like me and him would just be fucking <laughs> brutal. So any one of those four, yes, please. Well, the number one contender match at the beginning of next year is Cody versus Coho. The loser of that match will be in the tournament. The winner will not be, uh, because they'll be in the title match. So, yeah. uh, but so any of those are definitely possible and on the table uh, as we get into next season. Bill, uh, really great job today. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's move over to Kirk, uh, who has just had a dominating season. Uh, once again, Kirk, uh, two seasons in a row now, you've just kind of like swept the table and you're back and for another one at the end of the year here. You're going into next season after, what is this, five or four defenses? I think this is the fourth, yeah. Yeah, fourth, fifth, crazy yeah. shit, man. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, all respect to Bill. Um, I really prepped hard for this um, because, like I said, I did watch his matches. I've, I've been watching him, you know, since this you know, started this year. And um, I was – I did assume he'd be the guy I was playing. And I watched him just keep, keep getting better and better. So I knew Bill was a threat. And um, I really – my last two defenses, I started out 0-2 uh, in the match. And I did not want to have that happen again. Uh, so I really uh, put my nose to the ground. So I was nervous because of the order um, of the questions because Bill the Butcher, I knew it was going to be tough to fight. And I knew he'd be ready for that nightmare. So I was uh, – the nightmare question. So I was really afraid I was staring down the gut at another 0-2 start. Um, but I, you know, I was able to get those. And Bill played great. Bill uh, – you know, he, he, he kept me on my toes. He threw stuff on me that I wasn't expecting in all, all four fights. Um, so I, you know, hats off to him. He's going to tear it up in the tournament. I will not be shocked to see him uh, competing against whoever the champion is next year. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to just get through another one. And now, like I've alluded to, we already know you're going to be playing uh, at the beginning of next year, either Cody again or Caleb Coho. Coho has challenged for the title before, I think. One, only once I could be wrong about that, but I feel, I think I played him when I was the champion, but I think that was it. So uh Coho's actually never uh, debated in a title match in fan zone before. So you either get Cody again, or you get Coho. Do you want someone new or do you want round two with Cody? You're muted, but I'm assuming what you're saying is great. I'd like to see round two against Cody. I know how bad he wants it. I know how, how, how bad that loss stung for him. Um, and so uh, he, he deserves it. Um, he's, 
he's a great debater and um i'd la- and playing him was a lot of fun so i no offense to coho but i'd like to see uh, I'm, I'm i'm rooting for cody in that one it's okay to give offense to coho it's fine uh kirk congrats on an awesome match uh really great shit this year um great champion we'll see you next year all right let's wrap this thing up brian uh final thoughts yeah, Kirk is just a hard one to, to beat to start with, but especially in a title match. Because, um, I mean, when he puts his mind to something, really starts prepping for things, uh, especially, like I said, on things like plot questions, which he's been burned on before, and he you know really wants to make sure to twist that just right. Um, and then when he gets to break out, you know, with some of his strengths, like Akira Kurosawa, which a lot of people are not going to be able to stand up against him on just because of his pure knowledge, where he's schooling them on their choice, as, as you pointed out earlier. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to next season. be a lot of good matches. Cody, final thoughts from you? Uh, yeah, it's a great match. Uh, Kirk did it again. I'm glad that Kirk did it again overall. Like, I think Bill Bill had some moments in there because of, for personal reasons, I'm glad that Kirk's still champion. But, uh, no, I think Bill could is easily one that's going to be sitting at the end of that tournament um, and waiting. I think... Again, I think once a loss happens in this league, you look back and realize what mistakes you made and what things you could have done different, and you choose not to make those mistakes again, and I think that's the best thing for you. Um, but speaking of that, losses do help people, and Coho is just a stepping stone. I promise you it will be me versus Kirk too, and I can't wait. And if it goes south again people might not see me for a while that's all i'll say um all right that, that was a great match uh thank you for uh, everybody that was here kirk uh bill cody brian uh special thanks to uh again cody brian kirk you guys have helped judge a lot this season uh helped me out a lot making this uh really fun and and a great thing to do so i want to thank you guys for doing that um and uh thank you to all the players that have played this year it's been a really fun season we'll be back next season with a bang, like I said, uh, with that contender match to open up the season. Uh, but don't go away. We got more on the final act. Uh, next up in video two, we got the fandom singles titles on the line. Joe Farrelly is playing his team partner, David Garcia. And then um, I believe the Warzone teams match is coming in. Clash of Demon Head is challenging uh, Ginyu Force in video two. And then video three, you'll see the uh, teams uh, title for fandom and the singles title for Warzone. So keep watching. Uh, we'll see you guys real soon with the next video. Thanks for watching. Bye. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.